Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. So Lord, we thank you that we get to be part of the story. His story is our story as we converge with our lives following hard after you, God. We thank you. Lord, I'm, a, I'm aware of so many that are battling. And uh, that scripture that Paul tells Timothy that in the last days, hard times. So the question is, why does God allow us to go through these trying times? He's purifying. He's purifying us, right? He is purifying, and we know that it becomes, the story actually becomes part of the reward in your faithfulness. In the midst of the battle, the stuff that we would never choose, the confusion that comes, the standing for children, grandchildren, loved ones. Lord, we just thank you that my daughter often says to me, Dad, how do people make it without Jesus? I really don't know. They actually don't, but um, that's why there's so much other craziness. So, Lord, tonight, we thank you for the privilege of being the children of the Most High God that there is nothing that happens that you don't know about. And if we're going through something, once we get your heart on it and you tell us how to go forward, then we need to trust you in the midst of the storm. And so, Lord, I ask you to lift any heaviness right now off of any people, those listening by live stream. Some of the phone calls have come in. It's like, Jesus. So, Lord, I thank you for a bloodline. I, I thank you for the Revelation 12 statement that the, he has defeated the enemy because of his blood, our testimony, and our love for him. Those combinations put such a powerful protection around all that we consider loving and purposeful and precious. So tonight I bind any confusion, manipulation, control, sadness, despair, discouragement. Take a back seat and get out in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you that the joy of the Lord will be our strength that we give you thanks this evening, God, for all the good things you're doing in the midst of us. When Paul said, set your thoughts on what is good and right and holy and pure and just, fix it. Fix your thoughts. Come on. Lift your eyes and to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Man, so we thank you, Lord. Release the angelic presence right now. Send them as ministering spirits. In Hebrews chapter 1, you said they'd come. Psalm 91, you said they'd be taking charge over us. And they spring snares and traps of the things that are set by the enemy. So, Lord, we thank you. You've got it in hand. You're a good papa. You're a good dad. And we thank you. So lift up all the weariness and heaviness right now in the name of Jesus. And we give you thanks. And I get it. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, good to have you all here tonight. Praise God. Oh, you are here. Praise God. Um, just some announcements. The um, I think Daniel and some of the team got a lot of the stuff out of the tent. Monday morning at 8 a.m., the tent is coming down. So if you're here and we need manpower, woman power uh, to come and then we're going to transfer the tent up to Holly Ridge and uh, set the tent up there. They've been working, getting all things set together there, but there's a lot to do, so praise God. So that's going to be Monday, but Friday night, I'd like to invite you to come at 7 o'clock. 
We're going to have a night of worship. You know, the, the, the cancellation of what was going to happen at Surf City is beach baptism. Last Friday when they canceled Wrightsville Beach, that was a really good call. The thunder and lightning, we, would have, we wouldn't have been able to go in the water. It was, yeah, so anyway, that was great. And so this Friday night uh, when that canceled, uh, there's a man named Rob DeLuca who's been part of different revivals, Lakeland Revival, the Australian Revival. Uh, he, he's friends with Nick and, uh, Nick and Gracie Thornhill. actually led Nick to the Lord years ago. So Nick called me and says, you got to get Rob here. I said, oh, okay, who's Rob? And so uh, if you want to f- hear about him, go, there's a thing from Sid Roth. Just go on Rob DeLuca, D-U-L, no? D-E-L-U-C-A. Okay, Rob DeLuca. He's, uh, he's on uh, Sid Roth. He's Italian. Means healer. Okay, Pat's all excited. Um, we have an Italian revivalist coming. Yay. It's about time. Does that mean there's a lot of them? Or we, yeah, okay, yeah. So anyway, Friday night, uh, we'll have a night of worship starting at 7 o'clock. And then uh, Rob is going to drive up with his wife. He actually delayed a trip to go to England. He goes, I have a word that I have to release here. So that's exciting to me. So be here, 7 o'clock Friday night, this coming Friday, and uh, we'll see what the Lord does. And then Sunday, he's also going to preach here Sunday. So, And then Monday, we'll be working, and then the following week is camp meeting. 2,400 are signed up. There is a schedule. Um, um, Megan's got some handouts up here. Would like you to hand out some information. If you, It's the same flyer that says if you need prayer, and, but at the bottom, it has that little thing you can click on and invite people to come to the camp meeting. But I do know they have 2,400, I think you told me this morning I talked when I texted with Parker. Praise God. So everybody's good? Amen? Doing victorious? Highly favored. Okay, good. Um, so let me ask a couple of foundational questions since we're now several weeks into this. Can you give me a scripture on ref- in reference that why a believer should confront a demonic presence. Give me a scripture that validates your authority to confront a demonic spirit. Biblical basis of why, I don't know about you, when I was growing up in my denomination, I was like, I don't know if there are any things, I don't even want to mess with them, they don't need to mess with me, I don't, uh, I'll leave them alone, they leave me alone, which is a lie, right? <laughs> so now that we know, so give me a scripture. I just heard something. John 14, 12. What does that one say? That's 1 John 3, 8. But John 14, 12 says that go, I've gone to the Father, so go and do greater works than I. So if you connect that with 1 John 3, 8, Jesus was sent to destroy the works of the devil. John 14, 12 says, now greater works shall you do because I've gone to the Father, right? Okay, so Jesus came. Got one? 1019. We're going to look at that one in a minute. Good. Um, how about, remember the one in, in um, Matthew, uh, Mark 16, right? The Great Commission, go into all the world, make disciples of all men. Believers, the sign of the believers will be cast out demons in my name, handle snakes, some translations say deadly things without harm, lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. So if you're a believer, you're supposed to be doing it according to Mark 16's great commission, right? Not the great suggestion. It's not a, if you like to do it. No, he said, go and do. And so, 
Uh, how about this one? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 10. And let's look at verse 1, and then we'll look at some others. We're going to get to Luke as well. So in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus calls the 12 disciples together. And what does he say? He gives them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Then he lists the names. You see that? Matthew 10. So he, he calls the 12 and... You know, at this point in their ministry walk with him, they're pretty green, right? They're still struggling like Peter and John, you know, I'm greater than you are. I'm the greatest, you know. Uh, I'm the one that's loved and, you know. So they, they got a lot of issues. Remember, they, they're still, they're not a finished work yet. They walk into a village and the village rejects them and then they realize we've had power. Do you want us to call down fire on the village and destroy them, Jesus? He goes, you don't know what spirit you're of. So now you have power, but you got a murdering spirit on you. That's not good, right? They also have an issue with people that were using Jesus' name, and they said, well, should we tell them to stop using because they're not part of our group? So there's this exclusivity thing going on. So they're not a finished work yet, but he still gives them power and authority. Just like you and me, we're not finished works yet, right? But he, said, he gets them together. He says, I'm giving you authority to cast out evil spirits and heal the sick and all forms of illness. Verse 7, Matthew 10, 7, go and announce to the king that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure the lep with leprosy, cast out demons, give as freely as you have received. Those are some powerful scriptures. So let's, uh, we've already looked at, we've quoted Mark 16, so we won't go there. How about, remember 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9? 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says, watch out. The devil seeks whom he may devour. Take a firm stand against him. So if you know the devil's a devourer, we know from John 10.10, 10, the job description was Satan has come to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come to give life and fullness. So if he's come to steal, kill, and destroy, and then we're supposed to take a firm stand against him, those are scriptures that says we're not supposed to back down in this fight, right? We know that from our... Reference in uh, also in Ephesians chapter 6, the full armor of God, right? Put on the full armor. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Okay. Um, remember the scripture we've shared in Mark chapter 9. Let's just go there for a minute. Turn to the right. Go to Mark chapter 9. You remember when Jesus gets probably really the most upset he's ever gotten with the boys that I can find in scripture? He's up having this amazing time on the Mount of Transfiguration with the three, Peter, James, and John are with him. They come off the mountain, and there's all this hubbub going on, and there's a demonized boy who a spirit has been trying to kill him, throw him in the fire, drown him. And the disciples could not cast the demon out. And Jesus refers to their inability to do that as faithful, faithlessness. That's huge. My experience is that the, the more you understand and embrace with the revelation of who he is and how big he is and what has been delegated to you by his authority, it's, it's not you, it's him. Once that revelation of all I am is a an ambassador, a representative, a carrier, 
Once I have the revelation of how big he is and the authorization by Scripture that you're supposed to do, the commission he gave you, once that really clicks from head stuff to heart stuff, the authority level grows. We saw that uh, those who have been on mission trips when we started, it was like, can we really do this stuff? And you know, we saw things that are like, good Lord. And, and it was that fear factor. Then we'd, we'd kick the devil's butt and we'd get all prideful and arrogant like, man, we know how to do this, man. And then, then another thing would happen like, oh, my God. My encouragement to you is to meditate on the Word of God that is full of living power, Hebrews 4.12. Get that Scripture. That's why memorizing these Scriptures that you can know that you can know that you have been given this authority by great commission to go and do the works because the signs and wonders validate the message of Jesus is true. And so once we get a hold of that validation of Scripture, we realize, this is a fight you've called me to. So if, if you put me in front of someone who is tormented and broken, they want to be free, then I have the authority and actually the commission to do what you said. Amen. And when that aligns, those devils have to bow down. And so that's why when in Mark 9, Jesus is really upset because he had already given them the commission, the authority, right? So look at Mark 9. Verse 19, you faithless people, how long do I have to put up with you? How long must I do this? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. When the evil spirit saw Jesus, this is that intimidation, the child was thrown into a violent convulsion. He falls to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening, Jesus asked the boy's father, since he was a little boy, which is interesting we don't know what opened that door. Was it generational? We're going to look at that in a minute. The Spirit often throws him into the fire and the water and tries to kill him. Can you imagine the torment that this dad had? Got to watch this kid. The devil's trying to kill him, throws him in fires, throws him in the water, tries to drown him. So no, it's no wonder he brings them, the boy to the disciples and says, help. And Jesus had already imparted to them the revelation of the authority. That's why he says, you're faithless. So that's why I want to challenge us in the, the, the portion of faith that is part of the commissioning. You know, when you're, it's that analogy, when I was a naval officer and I took my commission to defend the nation against all foreign and domestic terrorism, etc. there's an authority that's given. When I take my position in a ship and I stand there as the engineering officer of the watch, there is authority in the position to execute. Same with a police officer, right? When the police officer stands on College Road and the tractor trailer's coming at 60 miles an hour and he puts his hand up, that tractor trailer better stop. But there's nothing in that police officer other than the badge and his authority with his hand up against that tractor trailer. But there's an authority there, and if you don't follow what's fo what is the, the law of the state, you will face the consequences of that. So same is true spiritually. You have been commissioned. You have faith. Have faith in what has been imparted in the commission by who he is. So when you see something strange, you get all these intimidating accusations, threats, weirdness. That's just the devil trying to divert. And he did it with Jesus. And that's why Jesus said, I don't like your unbelief. Question. I know you're not going to like this one. No. When we were in Switzerland, and Randy was preaching this, basically we had the authority, 
and all those pastors started to manifest, remember? Where was the authority then? I, I don't know where they were at, but we were recently at another meeting and a number of pastors manifested. So why do you think pastors are any different if they've never dealt with the open doors that are in their life? Why would we be surprised? They're, no, they're, they're people. They're human. And if they... Well, supposedly, like I said, I can't comment on what they went through. But even in the examples I've given you before... When we went to Santarém, Brazil, with an individual that we did prayer ministry on here, but that individual in his prayer ministry, because of pride, I believe, would not uncover his pre-Jesus stuff. The doors were wide open. So when he gets there, and we're in the midst of some really heavy-duty demonic manifestations in this church in Santarém, that spirit messed with him and his partner. So if you've got an open door that's undealt with, that's why we're pretty careful. We don't put people in ministry team or in deliverance ministry that has not been through their own personal prayer ministry, right, because of that very question. So I can't speak to what the levels are, but it comes down to did you deal with everything in your life that the Holy Spirit told you? That's why we give the journal out two weeks at least in advance, and we ask you to get with the Holy Spirit, James 1.5, if you lack wisdom, Ask him, who do I need to forgive? And go back all the way to childhood, parents, key relationships, Holy Spirit, tell me. People come up with dreams, visions, journaling. When they start listing, who's, who do I need to forgive? And we tell them, remember, you may be more like an onion than a banana. So if somebody that really, really wounded you or your family and you've forgiven them, but you don't know if it's done yet, if you're in like worship, it's like, Oh, my gosh, what worship. And all of a sudden, this person that you've had issues with in the past that you thought you forgave comes up and stands next to you, and your worship goes, you're not done yet. Right? There's still a layer there. And we talked about sometimes it takes a real willful desire to forgive and keep working through it. And so my experience is people that still have issues is, because of pride or fear or fear of man, fear of exposure, oftentimes dealing with people that come and say, Pastor, I'm like really anxious because maybe you wouldn't think I'm a Christian when I tell you what I've done. And I usually tell them, listen, if we haven't heard it, we've probably done it, so just get over it, right? We're not really focused on your sin. We're focused on the freedom because all have sinned and fall short of the glory, and it only takes one sin. If you think this sin is bigger than that sin, guess what? If you broke one, you broke them all. So anyway, so I tell them, don't try not to be nervous, but I get it because I was already, a I went, I had the same experience. And so, but then the other part of the question sometimes people have is, if I go in there and I uncover my spouse, my mother, my father, my pastor, my coworkers, isn't that gossip? Isn't that slander? It's not. Confessing sins one to another and forgiving in that setting for the purpose of, I want to be free. I have to be able to share my heart however I process the wound. Whether they meant it or not, I got it. And I need help to unpack it. Confessing your faults one to another that you might be sozoed, saved, healed, and delivered. So 
I just tell people, look, just be as transparent because the stuff that really is the most ugly stuff that you're most embarrassed about, when that comes out in the open, guess what? It loses its power. Amen. So if you're, it, usually it's pride or fear of man that's like, I'm going to tell them that. I try to hand, end every session this, before we start praying. Is there anything you haven't told us that you don't want to tell us, but you know you should? And then it's like, yeah, or no, I think I've got it. Yeah, but yeah. So in Mark 9, that faithlessness is really an important issue for us in dealing with deliverance. Will you go back to that tractor trailer and that police officer? Because if the police officer has the authority and he tells the tractor trailer to stop, the tractor trailer is analogous of the demon, right? So the demon has consequences when he doesn't obey us. Is that what you were saying? Yeah. That's pretty cool. If, and the authority of the policeman, even though he doesn't have the, the ability to stop that truck at 60 miles an hour in the physical realm, because of the spiritual authority that he has or the authority given to that police officer by the state, if you violate this, Police officers will move out of the way, but you're going to get run down and you're going to jail. So there's a consequence to the, to the disobedience. So the analogy that Pastor just used about the police officer is very appropriate. But you know in the natural, um, so, uh, you see a truck coming and the truck driver is crazy. They don't want to listen to the police officer. They can run the police officer over. We've seen that. But that won't happen in the spirit because it's the name of Jesus. They have no choice. They have to listen. They have no choice. It's not like I can just decide. Maybe to put a spin on that is the demon may misbehave, right? He, but the ultimately, it's kind of like the manifestation. When the boy comes to Jesus from the father, the demon's doing all sorts of craziness, foaming at the mouth and trying to, you know, and Jesus is not very moved by it. The demon didn't come out right away. Well, so how long has this been going on, Dad? Oh, a long time. And, and, and so, and then Jesus deals with it. So they, there are times, remember where Jesus, I think we shared last week in Mark chapter 5, when the demoniac who's got somewhere between three and 6,000 demons, depending on which commentary you listen to, a lot of demons, right? The demons have got demons and friends. They're in the house there, right? And Jesus prays for him more than once. So sometimes when you're, and I've shared a couple of examples, even the, one, the lady in England that Pat had manifest in front of her. When she manifested and the demon did not go the first time and told us, I'm not leaving, she likes me. That told us there's still an authorization, so then we asked the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what's going on here? And then one of our teammates get a word of knowledge, actually through a physical condition, doubles overs in pain and says, ask her about the abortion. She says, I've never told another human being about this, but now that you've asked me, I had an abortion, here's the situation. So when there's misbehaving, there's, something, there's a door that has either not been confessed or has not been dealt with. And so that tells you, okay, because when we get to the root of all of it, just as Bishop, Pastor Bishop saying, this is not optional. We have authority over you. Get out. Okay. Just for, to get an example, what did you do recently when you said there were pastors manifesting? 
we were at the meeting, so we were pastors, <laughs> um, and they called people forward. And this this uh, pastor, I didn't know him um, very well. He's from, was he from England? Anyway, he just started calling down power, and pastors were manifesting. So, yeah. Well, there were, there were about 40 of them, about 50 of them. I don't know if there were others in that meeting. So it wasn't my meeting. <laughs> and they were getting free. That was the other thing. So, yeah, praise God. So if, if you don't think pastors can have demons uh, or be influenced by them, um, yeah. Yeah, so that's why. I, yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, let's look at another scripture. Um, let's turn to that Luke chapter 9. Verse 1, in Luke 9, here's again authority scripture. One day, Jesus calls together the 12, and he gave them power and authority. Power, this is the dunamis, right? And the azuzia, it's the power and authority to cast out demons, to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom and to heal the sick. And he gives him instructions on that. And then look at verse 49 as well. The disciples get upset. John says to Jesus in Luke 9, yeah, Luke 9, 49, Master, we, we saw someone using your name casting out demons, but we told them to stop because they're not with our group. Jesus said, don't stop them. Anyone who's not against you is for you. Interesting. The next one is the murdering spirit with the opposition of the Samaritans. The argument of pride in the, chapter, the verse before that, the greatest, who's the greatest? So these guys have got some issues, even though they've been given authority. So this is not the perfection. Because I've had people say, well, you know, I'm not, um, I'm not righteous enough to do deliverance. And... Now, I agree, you should have all your doors closed the best of your ability and be prepared, um, but don't let the feeling of inadequacy because it's not your adequacy. That's the faith. And so, now, I have had questions like, well, can, can a demon be transferred? Can a demon jump on somebody? Can somebody think of a scripture where demons were transferred? Well, sons of Sceva, they got beat up, right? right? But remember, the, how about the pig analogy, right? Jesus gives permission, which is really, uh, really awesome. When you're dealing with someone that's had a high level of, de- of influence by darkness, you can have a lot of drama associated with that. And so, so by them um, avoiding all the drama, Jesus just, the pigs, I believe, were territorial spirits, so they didn't want to be cast into some dark place. So Jesus gives them permission, so they leave the guy willfully, go into the, you know, the, the, the deviled ham, and they get all crazy and jump off cliffs. And, and, uh, so the, the, but there's a transference. Um, we had an example. It was wild. Remember, Paddle, somebody remember this. We, were, we had a small group, with, and I think we ended up with like 70 people in, the, in down in Charles George's house for, for small group. And uh, we were baptizing people in bathtubs. It was a wild season. And so, but one night, um, th- th- this lady's in heaven now, but um, Renee Ballard, Renee was there. She was big on deliverance, and I loved her. She's an awesome lady. 
Yeah, I didn't agree with that. I don't, I don't like to talk to them at all. I just tell them to get out. But anyway, but she, was, she had authority. And one night, this person manifested in the, in the small group. And there was a deliverance that was done. The next day, now I'm just reporting, okay? You, you, you decide what you want to do with this. The next day, uh, the, the homeowners, Charles and Donna, called and said, it's weird, but our little dog, we had to put him in the hospital, was being IV fed, um, bleeding from the anus. And like the doctors looked at him and says, we don't know what's wrong with him. When did this, how did this condition happen? And I, they're talking to me. I'm like, let me ask you a question about something. Was that dog in the room when they all did deliverance last night? Yeah, it was. And so I said, without getting the veterinarian all wound up, go down there and cast the demon out of the dog. So they did. And the dog came home healthy. So, like, again, I'm just reporting. I, question, Doug? They committed suicide. Yeah, that's a good question. What happens to an embodied spirit when it, let's say, a person, the human is in him, and they die? Or anyone want to take a render or guess on that one? So you guys know that demons are spirit entities. They never die. And their primary objective is to seek embodiment in people or animals. So, and they are wicked. That's their only agenda. John 10, 10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So when the demons left the pigs, they went looking for other hosts. That's their job. When that host dies, they go to the next one. When that host dies, they go to the next one. That's all they do, forever and ever and ever. Until one day when they're put into the pit. Can you explain iniquity and the transference in families? Oh, wow. Okay. That's a... Okay. okay. Let me... Let's go. We'll get there. All right. Um, so this is a great lead-in to where we're going to start tonight on page 1220. How do demons gain access or influence? And this will also come into the question that Cheryl just brought, which is generational sin, right? So Exodus 20 talks about, let's just turn there, because Exodus 20, I'm going to do, a, I've, I've preached on this while, way while back, but let's just look at Exodus 20 for a minute. You're familiar with the Ten Commandments, but oftentimes we kind of forget there's other parts to this. So in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, I am the Lord, verse 1, Exodus 20, verse 1, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt and placed, took you out of slavery. You must not have any other gods but me. You must not make of yourself any idols or kinds of images of anything in heavens on earth. You must not bow down or worship them, for I am the Lord your God, I am a jealous God, and I will not tolerate your affection for other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon the children. The entire family is affected, New Living Translation says, even children to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. King James says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself, verse 5, and serve others. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, upon the children unto the third and fourth generation 
of those who hate me. Those are strong, strong words, right? Now, just turn to the right, go to Exodus 34. He, un he unpacks, the Lord unpacks this in the levels of sin or the levels of darkness, if you like. The Hebrew, there's three levels in the Hebrew, which in English we have sin, transgression, and iniquity. And they are very different. In the Hebrew, sin is, is chata, C-H-A-T-T-A-H, -T -T and it means you missed the mark. The first time you tell a lie to your parents, it's like, you'll maybe like, oh, or maybe the first time you take something you're not supposed to, it's like, oh my gosh, what are, and there's this shame and guilt, and they're like, whoo. But then you get better at it. You practice it maybe. I don't, but let's just say that instead of just missing the mark, which is sin, now you start to transgress, which is pesha, P-E-S-H-A, and it means willful rebellion. I have chosen now to miss the mark on purpose. And so I'm now in rebellion. 1 Samuel 15 says rebellion is as the spirit of witchcraft. So now I'm being bewitched by my, by, by my choice of rebellion. That's why a door opens when you start in this process. But then the next level is transgression. And in the Hebrew, that's called awon, A-W-O-N, which means iniquity, which means twisted character. You are now so broken in your sin of rebellion that your character has been modified to the point where Romans chapter 1 talks about this. Remember it says, they, creation was made, they, they knew that I created all things, but they chose not to worship me. They worshiped the idols of things they made. And it says, then they proceeded to invent new ways of sinning, and now they even train others or teach others to do the same. That's that same word. That's that twisted, and it goes on and says, their minds have been given over to a reprobate mind. Their consciences have been seared. They no longer have a conscience. Is that place where they've so, so that's where iniquity comes in. The good news is he tells us in, in Hebrews 30, uh, Exodus 34, Verse 7, it says, I keep mercy to a thousand for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgressions, and sin, and will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers. So here's the twisted, broken character of those who hate him that says that, of, that will affect the generations for three to four. So when you have someone in a generational line, and I, like I said, I've shared, my grandfather was a mason. He was a womanizer, ran off and left my grandmother to raise my father at 11, my aunt at 13, and he was a womanizer into the Masonic, all, and he died at an early age of an aneurysm, dropped dead one day, stomach broken, and, and so that affected my father. Now, there were other things that affected my father. He, he's, he's in high school during World War II. He, his class that is going before him are going to war. They're dying. Guys he, he knew are dying on the football team. They're in the shores overseas. And at 17, my grandmother signs him in at 1944, and he goes into the Navy. And then he's, he, he sees stuff in there. He comes back from that six years later. He's now married to my mom, who's pregnant with me, gets his orders, report to Camp Lejeune, you're going to Korea. You're going to get you 90 days of wonder get you polished up, but we're getting our butts kicked in Korea in the police action, you're going. And my God, dad goes there, 
And in his drunken stupors later, when he comes back dealing with PTSD, he sits us down many, many, I don't know, it could have been hundreds. When he would deal with his fits, he would sit all four of us boys down while he was drunk and he would relive every one of his battles. And I can tell you them by heart. Um, so in the midst of that, dealing with that has an impact and effect on the family, right? And so what he's saying is, I love this. He says, but I'll bless to a thousand generations those who love me, who don't hate me, who don't have an iniquitous, twisted character, right? So, so that's why when we start looking at generational stuff that happens, I don't know what my grandparents were doing 300 years ago, but the devil does. That word also means visitation. He has a visitation right. He can visit your family line from the doors that were opened by your forefathers and foremothers because of their behaviors and rebellion. He can bait the hook. So in my family line, my dad's alcoholism, it visited my brother who struggled with alcoholism. He's in heaven now. Just before he died of a massive heart attack, three months after my, my son's death, it was a really tough season for us. But he had just gotten to a place where he was getting clean and sober. And so in God and his grace, it just, anyway. But I want you to see the visitation right can come. I just, this has always been a question for me. The, I can only go back one generation because everybody's in Italy and who knows where they are. So when you say we cut you free from generational curses, you don't know you right. Yeah, yeah. I love it. No, it's a great question. It's a, well, I don't know what they were doing 300 years ago, right? And so, so, or maybe you don't even know who your father and mother was, right? So in the prayer ministry process, this is what's amazing. We call it the man or woman of peace. When you're standing there, we're going to deal with this next week when we get into the model. When you're in the prayer ministry, once you've gone through, tell me your story. Tell me who do you need, what was your relationship with your mother, your father, your ex, your boyfriend, your coach, your teachers, your professors, are there any in there that you need to forgive? Those pastors, anybody break your heart? Where's the portrayals? And they're telling you the story. Once we finish the telling of the story for that, we're making the list of who's to be forgiven and why. And then why, why don't you, what are your confessions? Now, in my case, I needed to forgive my father for his fatherlessness and the drunkenness, but I needed to confess my sin of the anger, resentment, bitterness, and even the desires, I'd be better off if he didn't come home. So I needed to confess my anger, resentment, and bitterness, and I needed to forgive him. But then I got my own stuff. That wasn't my father's fault. It's my own rebellion. Right? So once we finish those parts of the confession and forgiveness, the next phase of that is, so what are some of the generational things that have happened in your family? Well, yeah, I got a grandfather who was a mason. Okay. Well, we got some Native American. that There might have been some shamanism there. Um, alcoholism. Divorce homosexuality, these are things that show up in the family tree that you're aware of, but what about the ones I'm not aware of, okay? Well, in the prayer, where you've been as thorough as you know to be, these are the, pe these are the people in my family tree and the things I know they opened. So here's the prayer we generally, I, I like, it says, Lord, I choose now to forgive my forefathers and my foremothers, any doors they opened, any agreements, curses, rexes, hexes, and we walk through, it's a, you're applying the blood, asking the Lord to come now and wash through the generation. And when the man or woman of peace stands up and says, 
I am now declaring to the, I'm getting electrified right now. When I declare to these two witnesses here that are now representing the courtroom phase of prayer ministry, we are now seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. And you can walk right into the throne room without fear of judgment. And you're standing there saying, Lord, I need you to apply the blood of Jesus because now I declare before these two witnesses, my family line is now going to be purified by the blood of Jesus. That my children and my children's children will never face the curses that I have had to visit because of what's taken. When you start to shift and often people go, wow, that feels really good. Right? So there's a process that we ask the Lord to take... How about all the doors we've opened with illegal or uh, illicit soul ties, either spiritually, emotionally, physically? We ask the Lord to take the sword of his spirit and cut us free from all ungodly soul ties. And when that happens, it's like, Because when you connect ungodly soul ties, physically, spiritually, emotionally, whether it's religious or emotional or even sexual, and those things, you're connected, Right? Paul even warns, how can you connect? How can the temple of God be connected even with prostitution? God forbid, right? We can't, how, we can't have, but hey, in our rebellion, in our stupidity or our confusion or whatever, we do things. But the blood is more powerful when we come and say, I confess. Because he says in 1 John 1, 9, if I confess my sins to him, he's faithful to forgive me from all unrighteousness, Right? And then he goes on in James 5, he says, The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous shall accomplish much. Confess your sins one to another that you might be sozoed, saved, healed, and delivered. So when you tell the two witnesses and they go, Amen, let it be done. Then this is where Malachi 3.16 bops in. It says, There is a scroll of remembrance written for those who love to honor the name. And the Lord says, you will see the difference. He gets a stenographer that is hearing the witness of what you're saying in the courtroom, and it's it's a legal setting. I want you to hear what this person is saying. They've forgiven this one, forgiven that one. They've confessed this. They've forgiven the generations. It shifts. That's why prayer ministry is so powerful. It's like people walk out, it's like something's different. Yeah. And so, and it's because it's biblically based, he has to watch out for his word. He's not a man that he should lie. So when you, when you line up your prayer ministry in accordance with scripture, it's a done deal. And the authorization of the king of kings says that's the way it works. And so, and so I get really excited. So let's look at what are some of the ways that whether it's generational whether we know what the generational sin is or not, the blood can handle it. So look at that page on, the, on top of 1220 there. How do demons obtain access and influence? So I've kind of been pondering this. Um, Carissa and I were having this discussion about, well, can a, can a Christian really be possessed, oppressed? And, and, you know, I was kind of got to the place, I mean, tomato, tomato, are they influenced? Hey, we can argue that. That's one of those hills that I don't think we want to die on. We know that Christians can be influenced by darkness. If you're torment, you know you're a believer, and yet you're still tormented and struggling and battling. Okay, is it the flesh? Is it a demon? Is it both? How much authorization? Um, these are really interesting debates, but how many of you can tell me how a nuclear power plant operates? And yet... Southport is generating at 100% power, and you're turning on your lights. Is that okay? But you can't explain it, but you like it, right? So what my, my point of this is 
I'm not sure we know all about neutrinos and the hidden, but, but we know enough about nuclear power and fissionable material to be able to control this thing and operate power plants and run submarines and aircraft carriers. But we don't know everything, but we know enough. You can't explain Ohm's law, but yet you plug your hairdryer in and you use it every day. Right? So my point of this is, even though there's some mystery, we have enough from here to do what he said, go do this, and when you apply the word in a conjunction with his word, it works, whether you can explain it or not, because there are mysteries we still don't know. That's why Paul said, I went to the third heaven, and I saw things, I don't know what I saw, and if I could, I couldn't tell you, and I can't wait to get there, I don't know whether I want to be in the body or there, because it looks really good, and so my point of that is, how, let, let's take a child. The devil does not fight fair. So let's say that you've got a parent who is involved in witchcraft. You know, I talked to you, I recently did somebody from another state had been under blood sacrifice with Santeria, right? Mother brought him to the, the witch doctor and they got the dead chicken, spread blood all over him. And, you know, it's like, man, I've struggled and broken and everything, my relationships. Okay, so the devil doesn't fight fair. So that child has an entry point because the person that was supposed to protect them spiritually has opened a door. So that child is oppressed, possessed, and so, so how does that child get free? They got to get saved, and they got to go through prayer ministry or get delivered or have the, the, have the Lord show up in his room and do it. And so, so the, you can have an oppressive spirit. Look, if you look at the list, generational sin... That's a door opened by your generations that did things that was rebellious. And the effect of that or the visitation is upon you or your children. And it's not fair. What if I do it in ignorance? Not by willful. I just didn't know any better. You know, when you grow up in some of these nations that we've been in, it's just part of the culture. You got Macumba. You got San La Muerte. It's part of the culture. Somebody gets sick. Get a chicken or get your, your pesos and go down there. Go to the spiritist and get your stuff. And you walk out of there, you might have a, a healing of that, but you just picked up demons and you're worse off than before. And so, and then that thing will take cover until it has a strategic advantage later. So generational sin, that can be a door opener. Sins of omission and commission, that's rebellion. Life trauma. Was just recently dealing with this person had been raped at an early, it raped at an early age, and so, and then all of the men in her life were just, they were not good. So her understanding of love, relationship, care, and trust of men was all broken. The trauma broke her, broke her heart, and guess what? It wasn't untrue. Those things really happened to her. I was dealing with someone from um, another country who'd gone through the communist takedown, Again, the horror that of, the, of what happens in trauma and war was there. So they witnessed it. They saw it. They experienced it. That wounded spirit, that wounded heart that they really saw needed healing. So they needed to forgive the communist government. They needed to forgive the soldiers who did these things. They needed to forgive her parents who abandoned her for two, two years when they escaped and left her there. And then she's abused by a family member. So there's all this trauma when you start. And in the midst of telling that story... What I'm going to ask you next week is, we'll give you some scenarios. What's the spirit that's operating behind that? Because it's not just the story. There's a spirit that's attached to the trauma. Give you an example. 
this is one woman comes in her prayer ministry, and I said, well, so what was your relationship with your mom and dad? So she's starting to tell her story. My mom and dad and I divorced when I was seven, and dad never came back into my picture ever again. So I remember holidays, Christmas, birthdays, I really just longed for my dad, but he was not there. Five years later, mom remarries to my stepdad. He's an alcoholic. He has nothing positive to say about me, regularly tells me I'm stupid, that I'll never amount to anything, that you're not pretty enough for anybody to ever want you. In his drunkenness, he relays that. Those are curses spoken over that child. So now we got a seven-year-old. We got a 12-year-old. She gets out of the house as fast as she can at 18, marries a guy that she knows. They have two children, and marriage is not going well. Her husband's not a believer. So when you step back and say, you just told me a story, what's some of the potential spirits that have operated or attached themselves to her broken heart? Rejection. Abandonment. Could be called that. That's a false, it's an identity issue. Um, you're told, you know, black sheep of the family or this. Um, orphan spirit, an orphan spirit. Anger, I'm angry with the situation. Insecurity, low, low self-esteem. I'm stupid. So, again, those things projected, and now she's, she's survived, but she hasn't thrived. And so she's a, she's a wounded person. So she comes in, so knowing that, so we're listening in the spirit, what are some of the potential spirits that could be attached here? And then what are the, I, I often say, Tell me specifically what your stepdad said. You'll never amount to anything. You're so ugly, no one would ever want you. I write that down because that's a curse spoken by an authority figure, right? That's more than just a projection. That's a curse. And so, and then usually there's, a, there's self-esteem issues with it. There's, there's body image issues associated with that, which could then manifest as bulimia, anorexia. So you listen to more of the story. How, do you, how, how did you handle some of it? Well, I drank or I became promiscuous or, you know, I tried to find love in all the wrong places. Then there might be an attachment of, well, I got pregnant or I had an abortion. You, you can see how trying to medicate the pain and, and work through it so you're listening in the spirit to all those things, shame, guilt, fear, hatred of men, distrust of men. Well, no wonder you're having issues with your husband. You've had bad men that have been in your relationships. Why would you think your husband would be anything different? There's an echo there to this man who now represents those other men that you once entrusted your heart to that broke it. So if you can renounce the lie that all men are untrustworthy... And you can forgive those men because they really did those things to you. There's no excuse. Sometimes I get up and I say, I just want to apologize for all the men that broke your heart. And man, it's a moment, right? And so once they've forgiven and we renounce the lies and then we ask you to replace it with the truth. Remember your tree diagram we handed out first week? We've got more up here if you want them. But it's those anxiety, fear, rejection, disappointment, addictions, and they're rooted and they're fed by these spiritual lies that I'll never amount to anything, that I'm so ashamed that of what I did that God could never forgive me. Lie, lie. And once we can 
cancel the lie, get them to renounce the lie in front of the two witnesses and replace it with, if God's for me, who can be against me? And if I confess my sin, he's faithful to forgive me. And I tell them, when you walk out of here, if you've confessed every sin, there is no record of it anywhere. And it's like, that's too good to be true. But it's true. The Word says it's true. And so... That, so in the prayer ministry, what it is, it's intense counseling. That's why when we start, it can't, it can't be an hour. It's, it's going to be until it's done. I tell folks, clear your day. Clear your day. The longest I've ever done, I think it's 12, maybe 13 hours. I can't, I can't remember. But with someone who had been involved in sa- uh, satanic ritual abuse and some brokenness. And so, so when we start counseling, when you're, whether you're, in the tent, in a conference setting, or here as ministers, when someone comes to you and they share with you something, I need prayer for this. You're hearing in the spirit, what's really behind all this? And if they share something that's really deep, you say, look, this is not something we can do on a Sunday morning in 15 minutes. I'll pray for you. I recommend you don't try to cast demons out, whether it's a family member or not. Don't do that. Remember, because Matthew 12 says if that door stays open, you don't give them enough to handle, then that door is open and the familiar spirits of seven worse can come back. So I usually suggest, can we bind that spirit of depression, suicide, discouragement, whatever's up? Op- Let's bind that spirit. We- and, and then ask the- give them opportunity to come back and set up a time. Again, depending on how, what crisis they're in, it may need to be a hurry up because, you know, so things are happening, right? Okay, so when you look at places and objects, we recently, I think it was uh, last week, Jennifer shared, right? We had, uh, so there was some stuff going on in a house that your grandmother has. And is that okay to share? Okay. Uh, okay. And so she goes, look, I'm, Jennifer's on this journey. It's been awesome to watch, right? And uh, so Chris, and was it John? Who else went with you? Oh, Maria. Maria and, Maria and Chris go to the house and start praying. And there's this beautiful, ornate Bible that she found in the trash, which is a Masonic Bible. And it's in there. And it's like, okay. And they realize, Chris, what is that? <laughs> Let's get rid of it. You burned it, right? Or got rid of it, trashed it? Got rid of it, yeah. So objects. I, I had this... Um, my prof- one of my professors, when we were going through the deliverance in, uh, in Bible college, he'd done a lot of this, and it was kind of, whoa. He had a woman in his church who, for years, had tried to sell a piece of property and had it on the market. It was great. Nothing, nothing. She gets frustrated. finds Pastor, can you come over and pray over my property? I got to sell this thing. And so they're walking through the property. In the very back, in the woods, buried with just a head sticking up, is a Buddha. He goes, what's this? She goes, I didn't even know that was there. So you didn't put it here? He goes, no, it must have been here when I got it. Well, can we get rid of that? So they dig up Buddha and give him a burial. And uh, the next day, the, house, the property sells. So it's like others, some, um, there are those that believe that you're supposed to bury Joseph. Up, is it upside down? What does that do? What does that do? Okay. Anyway, it's a practice that uh, just like the Maloika and all that, Craziness, they don't, you know, Um, so they bury Joseph upside down and then they wonder why this stuff going. Anyway, objects that are, they attract demons. Uh, 
We know this. Let's go an Old Testament example. Remember, what was the God that falls down? Um, not Molech, but um, Dagon. Yeah, right? They bring the Ark of the Covenant in, and Dagon falls down, and then breaks his head off. And yeah, and then the Ark of the Covenant is there, and they're getting hemorrhoids because it's like, man, that's, that is like, God's got a sense of humor. Pagans trying to have the Ark of the Covenant for the blessing get hemorrhoids. And then they try to give it off. It's really wild. God is like, you're not going to mess with my anointing. I'll show you what kind of anointing you're going to get. It'll be annoying <laughs> for sure. Um, anyway, okay. Let's look at, um, so curses that are projected, family curses um, are big. So those are things like we, we want to know what kind of curses, what kind of agreements so that's part of the, again, the model will, will handle this. We'll show you all that. Okay, look at some of these other principles for freedom. I've listed what I consider the four biggies. We've really covered this a lot already, but forgiveness, if you refuse to forgive, you won't be forgiven, and that's an open door. And you can try to justify your unforgiveness. There is no justification. Now, it may not be easy. You have, you have a, a child that's been molested. You've been raped. It's hard to forgive. Somebody who's really hurt your family, it's very hard to forgive, but it's not about your feelings. I've had people tell me, well, do I have to violate my feelings? I had this discussion with someone the other day. I, I feel this way, but, but it's not about your feelings. It's about what you will because the Scripture says so. And your feelings will follow if you will will in accordance with Scripture. As hard as that, that's that, that's that layer of the onion layer. I choose to forgive this person now even though it's very difficult, and I, I release a blessing. Remember, we're supposed to bless our enemies, pray for those who persecute you. That's what Jesus said, red letter. Was he kidding? No, he's not. And act, what did he do? Hangs on a cross, says, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. So he models that. And so when we do what he said to do, guess what? You actually get out of your own cage. And so... Forgiveness is big. Repentance, we've already covered that. Truthfulness. If you don't tell the truth in humility, then the devil doesn't have to go. Scripture on that, James 4. Humble yourselves before God. Draw close to God. He'll draw close to you. Then you can resist the devil and he'll flee. So if you fail to be humble and you fail to tell the truth and draw close, the devil does not have to leave. That's why that example in England was... What's the hidden sin you haven't told us about? And when she does, it has to leave. Okay, moving right along. Turn the page. Ungodly soul ties and connections. Bottom of page 22 there, 1222. I listed that just above that, Matthew 18, 21. The Heavenly Father will do, if, what will He do if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart? Renouncing ungodly connections. Many believers have confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who have been practicing magic brought their incantation books and burned them. Remember in Acts 19, they had, it was in Ephesus. Again, the Holy Spirit is so, we have so many great examples of this. We've used it, maybe I've worn it out. But when, um, when you're praying, Holy Spirit, what is it right now that we don't know, but you know, and this person, remember the example, I had a woman who refused to tell us when I asked her, I said, we're all done forgiving all these things. Is there any sin or things you haven't told us that you refuse to tell me? She goes, yeah, but I'm not telling you. 
And we, I, you know, I did all my pastoral stuff, and you can, it's safe, and yeah, I'm not telling you. And then we said, okay, either we stop the ministry and you don't go on the mission trip with us because this is a linchpin item for you, which had already damaged a relationship, broke one engagement off, she was engaged to another, and she was concerned about it, so, and she had so much shame and guilt around this sin. So I just said, Lord, I don't know what to do right now. Um, what should I do? And he showed me the picture of the sin. And I told her what it was, and she was as mortified as anybody I've ever met. And, um, but it unlocked it. So ask the Holy Spirit, what, you're, what do we do? In that example I gave you, I think it was several uh, weeks back, we're in Brazil, and the prostitute came in, right? She's, she's in a catatonic state. She's completely frozen, and can't have, can't, she was in so many uh, blood sacrifices and darkness of her family, prostitution. We pressed in. She's 15. And she's in a catatonic state, and we can't reach the human individual, get her to confess and forgive. So we're outside the model, but we're not outside the kingdom. So, Lord, what do we do with that? And he says, hand-to-hand combat. I said, I'm not sure I know what that means, but we'll get really close. So we all gathered around and started speaking in tongues, and speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues. And all of a sudden, the demon, in in perfect English, turns to the guy who's with me, and says, when I come out, I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to kill her. It was an intimidation factor to get us to back off. But we know they're liars, and then he goes back into the catatonic state, and we pray even more fervently in tongues, and then, I don't know how long, 20 minutes, so all of a sudden the demon says, it's getting really hot in here. The tongues were burning that demon. Now, what? get a scripture? Tongues of fire, cloven tongues of fire. Right? Speaking in tongues. And so we just start. Finally, it says, I'm leaving. And it leaves. And then she's totally free. Human personality comes back. Can't speak English, but in Portuguese tells us it's gone. And the next day when she comes in, she's not got some jacked up skirt. She is like, wow, who is this young lady? She goes, it's the first night I have not been tormented by demons that I can remember. So I was like, Yay. So this is, this is that place when you don't really know, you don't have to know everything. You just got to know the one who does, right? Okay, so ask the Holy Spirit to lead and direct it. Seven, direct confrontation with evil. Uh, you don't have to be polite. Jesus never was. You just command and take authority. Page 24, how do we get started? I'm glad you asked. So getting started, there are some practical things um, that we need to do. And so you start, if you look at page 25, I kind of listed them. First, you want to, you don't want to start deliverance ministry unless you've been to your own inner healing session, prayer ministry. So my suggestion is get signed up um, and go to prayer ministry. And then I would love to have you sit in with me or my team, some of our teams, and so that we have folks that, because by experience, you start to see and the other thing is once you've seen people get free, it's, it's really like contagious stuff. It's like, oh, man, I want to do that more. And so I would encourage you, go, you know, in this house, you can't go to prayer ministry. You can't go to be on ministry team or be part of the ministry for prayer ministry unless you've been to your own and then you've already been released. So, But we have some folks that are working their way through. Um, I, I do want to call your attention. The first night that I handed it out, not only did I give you the tree diagram, but I also gave you the Molly Nice version of 
my sermon makes look so good. How do you take every thought captive? And then the ministry agreement sheet. Uh, this is when you get all done with the prerequisites of going to ministry team training, prayer ministry, your own prayer ministry, then you want to go through this. This is core values. To, in order to be a minister in this house, you need to fill out the ministry team agreement sheet, ministry agreement sheet, which says if you get hurt, which you will in the house. If you have not been hurt in church, just wait. It's coming. Uh, I, I'm sorry. It, it, families hurt each other, not on purpose, but, hey, we just do. That's why he, Jesus said in Matthew 5, if you think someone has an issue with you, leave your gift at the altar and go be reconciled. That's why you'll hear around here, um, are we okay, Dan? Did, did I do anything? You're like, you haven't been talking to me much. And he, Oh, no, that's just me. I got stuff going on. Yeah, no. Or... Yeah, I got some issues. (laughs) Well, let's talk about that. Because in Matthew 18 is my brother or sister did sin against me. They really did. And I'm hurt. So don't go gossip to the left or right. Go to them privately and share your heart with them. When you did this or said that or failed to do this, you hurt me. And I feel really hurt on that. Why'd you do that? Well, you know, you're a jerk and, you know, you deserved it. And, well, that's not good. Let's work through that. Well, we can't. Well, then we'll get somebody else to come and help you with the processes. Go get someone to mediate in the midst of it, right? So Matthew 18, Matthew 5, well, how do I join the church? With your heart and with your, your attendance, you know. You come. You're part of it. You help pull the rope, right? It's that, that's, what, that's what the Bible says we should do. Okay, and then lifestyle. Um, you can't be drinking and drugging on the weekend and expect to be part of the house, you can't be sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend, hitting porn sites. That's not going to work. And if you are, you need to get help and get maybe signed up for another prayer ministry. Right? Okay. Accountability. Have an account. So this is just a list of good um, kind of housekeeping. How do you keep your house clean? Okay. So getting started. So here we are. Um, look at the top of page 25. I love the Ezekiel 47 scripture, right? The river's rising. That's our foundational scripture for Global River. Pray for direction. Speak to church leadership. Get your training materials. Go through the handouts. You're doing this. Obviously, you're here. Keep your records of training. The reason Pastor Terry keeps all these records of attendance is we have to validate when you get released as a minister in this house, if you're not an ordained minister or a certified counselor by North Carolina, and you're ministering to someone, and you get sued, or they do something stupid, and you get sued, and the church gets sued, we have protection for you as a result of you following the protocol that's in this house. So we have training records. We keep it. You got, well, I like to do deliverance different than the destiny model. Well, you ain't doing it here. That's for your own protection. Now, there's obviously insights and revelation you can bring, and, but uh, it, the model here is, is the one that we have as approved for, for doing it. Okay, look at the bottom of page 1225. The destiny model of prayer ministry is the model used for healing and deliverance. It works well with individuals willing to thoroughly let go of their past. Sessions generally take Two to, I don't know of any two-hour ones, but anyway, once a session has begun, it is best to complete it. Now, I realize there are other ministries that do sozo, one hour a session, um, heart sink, restoring the foundations. So um, I just believe once we start, 
um, we need to finish. We need to spend the time in it. And it, one, it's a, it can be taxing, but it also is very thorough. What I find is when people start, they really might be anxious or nervous about sharing their stuff. What will you really think about me when I tell you my deepest, darkest stuff? Maybe you won't like me. Maybe you'll think uh, I'm not a good Christian anymore. I said, please, that is not the case. I get why you feel that, but that's fear of man. Um, we're we're going to promise you that we're not going to take your stuff and put it in the church bulletin, okay? So we're not going to expose you. Um, we'll do our best to keep all of that. Now, if you need follow-up, I love it. Many of our folks give phone numbers and say, look, call me if you need something that you really need help with. Miss Addie gets a lot of phone calls, right? And it's good. And, visit to, and visits, right? So just uh, that's part of the whole follow-up of discipleship. It's a great, it's a great way. Um, once, once you have shared your heart at the deepest level and you have felt the love of fellow believers in the midst of your walking it out, that is really, really precious, it really is. And there's a camaraderie, there's, a, there's an understanding. So you, it's really, really, I don't, I can't even remember one where someone says, this wasn't a valuable process for me. That at the end of this, they're wide open to just sharing their hearts about what it is that they're struggling with. Okay. Um, these are the many deliverances that... Uh, I'm concerned in the mini deliverance stuff where they don't follow through. That's the Matthew 12. If they don't get fully set free and they go out and that door is open, more can come on them. And so that's just a, a reason why when someone really manifests, uh, we want to get them into a, a, a permanent, uh, a private session and go all the way with it. Okay. Somebody who's heavily medicated. Here's a challenge. Sometimes we have people that are struggling. They're on heavy amounts of uh, bipolar medication, schizophrenia medication, antidepressants. They've been shut down, or they have multiple um, different prescriptions, and they're they're shut down. They're they're unable to really, you know, even think maybe clearly. Or someone who's struggling with addiction through drugs or alcohol, we would really like them to be clean for two weeks. So the, the, some of the folks who are doing in trafficking, they've been through protection in the, in the homes that are private around. They've been eight, nine, ten months of clean, separated from their pimps, and now they're in a place where they need to be healed. The very thing that got them on the street and opened that up, we now, once they've cleared, we now want the ability to have them be healed in their soul and in their, their hearts. And so there's a, there's a purpose behind why the halfway houses and the treatment, what's the timing of that? So when someone, we don't, again, we give no medical advice. You don't tell somebody, stop taking your schizophrenia medicine and come. No, we don't do that. Go ahead and get with your doctor. Let them know that you're going for an inner healing session and see if they want to wean you down or is there, how do we work this? And so um, we're asking for a greater and greater anointing. When you start looking at some of the multiple personality disorder by Mark Friesen, um, there's generally a fractured individual. There's a fractured personality there. That's how they've survived. And there's usually a demon attached somewhere in the midst. But this is not a onesie-twosie, do your deliverance and you're done. 
So you have to work this out. In fact, those who have done this for years um, say, look, there's really, sometimes it can take a long process with the counselor and the doctor working together in the process for healing and adjusting medication. So now Jesus can do it in one spot. And that's what I'm after, but I'm just saying again by experience. How about someone who's a child or under age 18? Um, We probably do maybe four or five, six children deliverances a year. Um, we've done several this year already, actually from some other churches. Um, we always, when a child is under the age of reason, 13, 12, 13, then we want a parent present in that interaction. We had a, a young boy broken. He was four or five. Man, it was a beautiful story. So the, the process of that is the, the grandmother who had adopted the daughter actually from another race, adopted the daughter and the grandchild. The grandmother came, and first the mother went to prayer ministry. And, man, that was beautiful in itself. So we won't do a child's deliverance until at least one of the authority figures, father or mother or guardian, the one who has legal custody of that child, comes to prayer ministry. They are ones that carry a door of covering over that child. They need to go. When I did one a while back, uh, this woman had her husband committed suicide years ago. She had remarried. Part of his issue was she wanted children. He did not. And they, they separated. And in separation, he was struggling with some depression. He went out and killed himself. So her broken heart, she would remarried, was not part of our church. Then, But the, the grandmother of a child whose daughter had been a crack addict, the child was, I think, three, maybe four at that time. The grandmother's 80. She says, I cannot raise this grandchild. So I want to give him to a Christian couple. Some way through the connection meets this woman and her new husband. They can't have children, but they want to adopt. So they work out the adoption, and the three-year-old, four-year-old child comes to the, the adoptive parents. And this child is behaving sexually in ways a four-year-old should not be doing anything like that. And he's violent. He's in his preschool. He gets thrown out of his preschool for being violent with other kids. And they call me up. First, the grandma calls me up and says, help. I said, okay, what's the scenario? So they, we, we vet the mom and dad. The dad says, oh, it's a little strange for me. But mom, if you, my wife, you want to go to prayer ministry? Go to prayer ministry. So she goes to prayer ministry. Man, the healing for the suicide and the brokenness and the inability, it was awesome. I mean, it was like, and so that in itself was beautiful. Then she brings the child, and we do prayer ministry. usually lasts for a child 45 minutes to an hour, and it's affirming. I, our practice is I give the mom or dad some cash. I said, I want you to go buy that child the most beautiful gift that they've been asking about or something that you know they'll like, and bring that, wrap it up, give it to me. So I, I have an in with the child when they get here. I love this. I have pictures of this little four-year-old. He gets these red sneakers, and he had the uh, light, bright Lego thing. Man, he goes, how did you know that? I had inside information. And so right away, we're like best pals. So do you want to talk about Jesus? Yeah. You want Jesus in your heart? Yeah. And we pray, and it's like, oh, my gosh. Right, Pat? He was like, it was adorable. Oh, my gosh. That boy. And so... So we would not do deliverance on a child without the guardian or the authority figure for the legal aspects of this in the spirit realm. 
that child is under the cover of that parent. There needs to be cover there. That's why it's the reverse is when the parent's not being a cover, that's why bad things happen. Generational stuff comes in. So, so uh, we, we generally vet them, make sure, and then we have the parent sign as release and one of the parents present. And I have them read a book called Children's Deliverance by Ida Mae Hammond. It's a short read. Ida Mae and Frank Hammond were f- forerunners in deliverance. And she wrote a book and she did strictly did children's deliverance. And some of them are just plain raw. And I said, Mom, Dad, you read this, and if you still want to do this, then we'll do it after you do your prayer ministry. And they, they read it, and it's like, I'm ready. I want to do it. And so, um, but it's uh, because you may have a child manifest, and you can't be the parent, oh, yeah, come on. No, you hold that child, restrain them until we get this thing dealt with. And you got to be able to comfort them in the midst of it, but you got to let the battle go on. And that's different than we would normally you know, is kind of counter to what the parent, I want to keep them from pain. I don't want that. You want this out. Trust me. You know, right? And so the good news on that five-year-old, one day I was pumping gas like a year and a half later, and this mama yells across, hey, Pastor Tom. I'm like, you know, people know me, and I'm like, how do I know this woman? Like, church? Hi. And then it comes back, and she goes, he's doing so great. You would not believe it. She gives me the data dump, right? He went home from that ministry session, turned on Christian music, which would absolutely drive him off the wall before that. He can't go to sleep without Christian music, makes his dad play the Christian music, and uh, no more violence, reinstituted in school, and praise God. Okay, so that's just like, yay. So you look at that page, what are some of the, we've covered this a lot, they have to be over 18 unless there's pastoral approval, they can't be under the influence unless we, they do their best, they need to be a believer. They need to understand that we're going to operate in the fruit of the Spirit. We canceled one. He came down here, drove up from Tennessee. This had been a denominational guy who wanted to get married to one of the ladies we'd done prayer ministry on, and he didn't know anything about the Holy Ghost. And we're like, have you ever been baptized? Are you open to it? He goes, I don't even know what you're talking about. And so he said, well, here's your reading assignments. Go back to Tennessee, and if you still want to do this, he came back a few months later, and yeah, they got married, and it was good. So they got to be open to the move of the Holy Spirit because we're asking Holy Spirit, come and show us. And what are the gifts of the Spirit? Do you want them? I don't know what they are. Yeah, so, yeah okay. Someone who is, we, we covered this also at the bottom of that page. There will always be somebody. We're ministering to a woman. There'll be a woman present. Ministering to a man to be a man present. And generally, this is general, no family members. So unless it's a parent with a child, um, so, well, we've had, well, can you do my, my husband and wife? Can we do this together? No, because the issue may be your husband or your wife. It's rare. Now, I've had a few, like, I can't think of one thing my spouse that I would forgive them for. I'm like, wow, you need to pray for me, you know, because <laughs> that's rare, right? But there could be issues that, and there are different relationships. Some people are totally transparent with spouse to spouse, <clears throat> mother to father, but not always. So, so we, uh, we, we generally say, no, this is your session. I think I shared with you last week, often we get calls from, usually it's wives. I'm sending my husband there. Sign him up. He needs it. He's got demons. <laughs> and we said, could you have your husband call us? Because if he's not free will, he's doing this to, because the marriage is on the rocks and she's threatened to either get your act together, we're done. 
So they come, and again, it's not, are you really engaged or not? What, what's your motive here? Do you want Jesus as Lord, or are you just trying to save your marriage? It's good to save your marriage, but you're not going to do this by playing this a game. As a matter of fact, you could get really not in a good place. So we have to vet them. Pat does a real good job of vetting them. <clears throat> you can imagine, right? She's just like straight to the point. I listen sometimes like, whoa, go. Why waste things? Yeah. Yeah, we just had somebody cancel because I don't think I'm ready. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. It's, and I've said this, and, but again, it's not always registered. Do you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life or not? Because if he's not Lord at all, he's not Lord at all. And you can't, you know, I want to I have this private sin thing I can do, but I want Jesus' blessing. And it just doesn't work that way. So um, generally we say you're not ready, but you know what? When you get ready, call us back. And usually what will happen is the hole gets darker and darker. I'm ready. <laughs> and then they come, and then they're willful, willful that. So... All right, so here's what we're going to do. Next, this is perfect. We're right there. Um, if you look at page, it's not numbered, but it would be 29, the destiny model of procedure. Um, you might try it for yourself or maybe interview a family member and just start saying, what are some of the people that I need to forgive in my history? Now, if you've been to prayer ministry, you probably got But So who have you forgiven and for what? So you make your own forgiveness list, and then you ask the Holy Spirit, what's the spirit that's behind what has caused me to feel this way? Rejection, fear of failure, fear of not being good enough, false identity. I fear abandonment. So you kind of start doing your own prayer ministry, which is actually... It is the Molly Neese diagram. When you're getting thoughts, you can analyze your thoughts, right? And what's the thought that just came into my head? And in Hebrews 5.14 says, a mature believer has trained themselves to discern good and evil by reason of use. So you could analyze your week. Take your journal with you. Go around and just put a piece of paper in your pocket and say, why am I feeling sad right now? Holy Spirit, James 1.5 says, I could ask you, well, you had this issue with work, with your child. You got a bad phone call from your child or something, and I'm, I'm sad right now. I'm depressed. So write that down. But then do the rest of it. Go online, ask Siri, what do I do for the overcoming depression? Right? Hey, Siri, what are some scriptures to overcome depression? I found this on the web for what are some scriptures to overcome depression. Check it out. 25 Bible verse, 21 Bible verses overcoming depression. Bible verses for depression to encourage hope and faith. 18 Bible verses for depression to help you through. So she doesn't know much about scripture, but she knows how to find them. And so sometimes she drives me happy. But so what you do is, what thought did I just have? Write it down. What's the spirit that's behind that thought? Sadness, despair, discouragement. Then counter it with truth because the truth will set you free. I don't want that. You don't want to keep that, do you? No. So get on there and send, get the scriptures and says, 
This is what the word says about overcoming depression or sadness. And you read it to yourself and let your spirit man tell your soul, get a hold of this because it'll set you free. That's spiritual warfare. And it's also a subset of prayer ministry. What you're doing is you're listening, discerning of spirit and understanding what is it that's operating here that is trying to infiltrate or affect me in my, because we're supposed to fix our thought on what is right, true, and holy, and pure. I was taught by someone a long time ago that certain stomach, like stomach aches and nausea, whatever, it might have even been Debbie, but nevertheless, to come against it and just come against divination, witchcraft, and it has no authority, it has to go. I mean, so you're doing your own little prayer ministry right there, right, and then ask the Lord to refill you. Whatever you cast out, you ask him then to come in and refill. It works. We had um, a situation, actually recently, someone was, um, was out in the marketplace and prayed for a person by themselves and didn't know if this person was a believer, had all, and instantly right after, this person started to feel pain and has, covered, has carried this pain for a bunch of time. And so we, asked, we said, well, did, was the person a believer? Did they project curses on you when you finished? Well, I don't know, but all I know is after I finished praying... I got this. So today we cut her free in Jesus' name. And um, she said, the pain's gone. <laughs> What's the point? Pastor, can a, can a spirit like leap on us? And if there's a door that's opened, remember we just said, they're in disembodied critters, right, that are looking for a place. So let's just say um, one night you're, you're doing something rebellious, and you're involved in that rebellion, which is the spirit of witchcraft. And that disembodied spirit, someone dies at the hospital and is looking for a place to land. If there's an open door. Now, a, a curse that's undeserved. Remember Proverbs 26 says, a curse that's undeserved is like a sputtering flower that cannot land. So if this house, remember another example of Matthew 12. He says, when the house has been swept clean and full, they can't enter. It's only when the house is not full and remains clean. that So you got a no vacancy sign here. When we go overseas and we encounter some of this deep, deep darkness, all the, all the alignments are aligned. We've had the apostolic release by the, the organization says, go. We have the elders that say, go. We have your, your wife, your spouse, they say, go. We come into the country, the apostolic leadership in the country says, Come. They're authorized by the kingdom to be there. You've had the, you have all the authorization. We've confessed. We've gone, to, we've gone to prayer ministry. We've taken communion. We've prayed. We're like, we got all the, we got our, we got our armor on. Amen. Now, we do have examples. I shared this a while back. I remember when Phil, remember, was the Puma man, right? Deep, dark. I mean, this was a high-level demon with a guy who was in an adulterous relationship with a Macumba witch. Had and her, she could manifest as a puma. You believe that or not? I, I, I didn't see it. That's what he said. He had the tattoo of the puma on his on his arm of this relationship. He's tormented out of his mind, and he comes to our ministry. Addie was there. Terry was there. Pat was there. Phil was there. I don't know who else was there. We're in Brazil, and uh, <clears throat> this guy manifests in a way, and Phil ends up 
Do you remember what he did specifically? He put his hands on him and he felt this thing kind of, and all of a sudden feels like, whoa, and then it leaves. The example of my wife, I, I told you, is this thing about know who you're laying hands on and whether you're supposed to lay hands on them. Are you, you know, the word of God has the timing of God and the strategy of God in it. Of you, that's why when people come in and say, I'm not in this house, but I'm going to pray in this house. No, you're not. But if you do, you know, there's places where you, you can get yourself set up. What's your covering, you know? It doesn't have to be a legal thing, but there is something about that authorization. So the story, my, my wife and I, we were driving from, back from Long Island, visiting family years ago. And it's like 3 in the morning, and I am falling asleep at the wheel. And I got, we got to, I stop at one hotel, nothing's open. No, no, they don't have any beds. Stop at the next hotel. I think we, anyway, I finally get this one. It, it looks like one of those hour hotels where, and so I said, I don't care. We're not having any hours, but we're going to sleep here. I close it. I lock the door. I take my oil out. I anoint the room. Whatever's happened in here, all the demons of lust and prostitution, I don't care. We're done. We're going to, and I'm out, right? And so the morning we wake up, and there's a cafe next door. I said, come on. My wife is like Miss Cheery in the morning. And so if I don't have my coffee, I'm not as much. And so we're walking down the hallway, and there's a, um, a woman from another country, and I make eye contact with her, and there's a lot of critters there. And I'm like, yikes. And I, you know, anyway, well, my wife, she turns her back because we make eye contact, and she turns her back to us, and my wife goes, good morning, and touches her shoulder, and all of a sudden the woman goes, ah, and runs in the cleaning room. And my wife goes, oh, oh, and runs in the bathroom. doing what I saw, right? I'm, I'm telling what I saw. And so I, she comes out and she goes, what was that? I said, I told you not to lay hands on people unless, you go, I was just trying to be nice. Well, how did that work out for you? Right? The point of that, again, I'm just reporting. So there's a debate, well, how can they get in? I don't know. We were in Brazil and this woman who had a goiter I mean, as large as a softball. And, man, prayer, people are getting healed all over. Our team member lays hands on that goiter, and it disappears. And the same moment, oh, runs in the bathroom, upchucks, come back, and says, what was that? I go, I don't know. But how are you feeling right now? Good. I cut you free in Jesus' name. Nothing can attach itself to you. Fine. No more drama associated. Again, I'm just reporting. So what do we learn from those principles is the scripture in Timothy says don't lay hands on anybody too quickly really references to, to, to I, if you really did, it's about putting people in, in leadership. But there's a principle there also that says why would you want to be laying hands on something that's defiled and unclean unless the Lord told you to bring it, right? And once you're, once you're clean and you're on the assignment of the Lord, that thing has got to go. So again, this is just being wise in, in training our hands for. Wow. Okay, we're let's stand. So next week, come with some analyzing either of your thoughts or start look at the model and start to look at the things that are maybe operating in your own life.
But we're going to start to unpack and actually try the model, give you some examples there. So, Lord, I want to thank you. I pray peace, peace. I know we've talked about a lot of stuff, and some of this is not for the light of heart. Like, we don't even like this darkness at all, but yet we're, we're being trained to defeat it. So, Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness. I speak peace, Holy Spirit peace, and the Prince of Peace to fall on them. Give revelation knowledge, Lord, even those listening by live stream. In Jesus' name, amen.